Hello and welcome to episode 32 of uh, Miller's Game Room Podcast. I'm Miller and uh, usual intro goes here, usual algorithm boosting requests go here, etc. and so on and so forth. Um, first off, um, I've got all minor channel stuff. Uh, last week I put up two videos, double upload week, which um, is not going to be every week. And those videos were... First one was some, uh, an unboxing of some imports from Surigaya and a little review of the experience. Go watch it. Uh, second video was a kind of like an experimental retrospective on Celeste, which um, I have a lot of thoughts on that, especially after it went up, and I'll save that for another time because, yeah. But one thing I will say is um, it not the best I've done quality-wise, as it was experimental, but there'll probably be some more stuff like it in the future with, well, now I've done it once, I can do it easier next time. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I did enjoy it with the issues, but, you know, yeah, go watch it. I'll leave links for both in the de in the description. Um, I'm not sure what the next videos will be, because it just depends on what happens and what I'm able to do and that kind of thing. So just... Bear with me there. Um, episode Q&A I did on the Spotify as well. Also got no replies, so I might not do them coming forward. So, eh, I probably won't, but, you know, if I have a question, I'll have it on Spotify and I'll ask the same for YouTube. So, you know, I'll do pin comment there as well. So, I'll decide that when I upload it. So, um, obviously, there's going to be news, so shorter stuff and longer form discussion. And then... What I've been playing, so that's a structure that's still quite consistent with the normal format. So we're going to get started. First one is a uh, Front Mission First remake is getting a physical limited edition that's at retail in spring in Europe and in the summer in North America, which is by Microids, which have done a bunch of other ones, like they did the House of the Dead remake, the 13 remake, a bunch of other things as well. Uh, it's going to include a exclusive lentacular, whatever that is, a manual and two lithographs. So um, yeah, it's good to see it come into retail because ideally this should have really been come out at launch, but better late than never. And that means the, the second and third remakes likely will get them as well. So that's really good news. Second one is uh, about East Memoir, the Ophir Felgana. That's been dated for 27th of April in Japan. And uh, obviously not confirmed for the West at the moment, but the pre-order bonus I thought was interesting because um, all pre-orders are going to include a 14-track music CD called East of the Ophin Falgana Sound Memoir 2010-2020, which basically contains all arranged music related to the game released in those 10 years. So that includes the track Omen Sticks Prologue Ver as a bonus, so it's basically the Prologue OP song, so... Yeah, if you're a fan of Falcon and you want those those CD soundtracks, like, songs physically, you might want to pre-order Felgana when it comes out on the Switch, which is really cool. And I'm glad to see them re-releasing, and that bodes well for future re-releases under the memoir label. Another interesting music re-release was for the soundtrack for The Simpsons Hit and Run, which, um, for those who, well, are, if you play video games, especially older titles, you will know what this game is. It's basically... The Simpsons take on Grand Theft Auto. It's never been remastered or anything like that. You can only play it via emulators or to track down copies for the PS2 and that generation of consoles. So the fact that it's now suddenly surfaced on Apple Music and Spotify as part of all the other Simpsons soundtracks 
um, that bodes well for the possibility of a remake or a remaster because a lot of the reason why you don't see these re remakes and remasters of older games or even new entries in those series is because of licensing. So the fact that the licensing has been sorted for these soundtracks to be legally available on Spotify does bode well. And hopefully a remaster does happen, although I will say if it does happen, it needs to be good and not another GTA Trilogy. Because GTA Trilogy is a load of wank. And by the way, it's now available on Steam and is Steam Deck compatible now. So if you want to play that, don't get the Switch version, get it on Steam Deck. Next bit of news, uh, Dockerpon Kingdom Connect has been formally announced. In the last episode, it, at the time it had been rated in Germany, so... It wasn't officially announced, but now it's been revealed, and uh, I was right on the money when I suspected it'd be Idea Factory International, because it just felt like something they'd be more likely to do. And it turned out that the game was announced for Japan as being published by Compile Heart, which is really weird, to be honest, especially because Idea Factory have just published games from Steam directly before, but they've developed like the Generation of Chaos, Pandora's Reflection, and the Super Sting brand, which only existed for that one game. So yeah, not much more than Makaichi by Khan and uh, B-Mates and the other brands they have and only use once, but let's uh, not go off track here. But the fact that it's then been coming to Japan, probably likely getting published by Compile Hearts so that it gets a physical release, but that's speculation. In the West, Idea Factory International then announced they were publishing it. In the spring, it's going to have a physical and digital release, which is good. And yeah, I'm quite happy to see this because not only is it bringing this game back, it was originally a PlayStation 2 and Wii title and is now really expensive on those platforms. So if you wanted to play that game legally, you have to pay like tens and tens of pounds for a physical game. But now you don't have to do that anymore because Idea Factory bring over this remake. It will have online multiplayer, which um, was originally introduced in the previous Dokapon game, which is Dokapon Up Mugen no Roulette, which was the Utawaram no crossover, which... It came out a few years ago, but the fact that that one has seemingly been passed over for this game and they're focusing on this game suggests to me that we're not probably not going to get an official localization of Mugen No Roulette, which is a shame, but you know, it's got a fan patch, so you can still play it. So if you want to play it, play it. And um, I'm hoping this means that Idea Factory can actually start getting some of Sting's other games over here because with Sting, They've been re-releasing a bunch of their older Department Heaven games on Switch and phones in Japan. And none of them have come west, even though they've been loads already. Although it was re like revealed like later last year that Yggdra Union and Gloria Union are getting officially released in China or Asia. The, that market in Chinese and Korean by Arc System works and it's getting a physical. It was at one point incorrectly listed as having English text, which is why a lot of people like myself became aware of it but hopefully given that and Dokapon uh, Kingdom Connect now we'll start getting these games and can get a nice physical version because that'd be really cool to finally see Sting's original games come back to the west and not just be be largely locked behind the PSP because that's where most of them are exclusive to especially because Refrain Chord, which is the latest project Sting have helped co-develop, is also coming out, so that also makes sense that I actually wanted to continue the, the trend. So, you know, that's really cool. Now onto a couple of Square Enix things. Going to start with the good news. Uh, Dragon Quest Champions... Well, actually, I say good news, but now I've said what the game's about. You might not know it's good news now, but... So Dragon Quest Champions has been announced for iOS and Android. 
Um, this is the next mobile game from Square Enix that will likely be shut down in 2025, if not beforehand. It's a quote-unquote melee command battle RPG in collaboration with Koei Tecmo, and there's going to be a better test for users. It's limited to like 10 or 20,000 people. will run from February 6th to 13th, so if you want to get a taste of the latest Square Enix game that will be closed down in a couple of years, now is your chance. And speaking of Square Enix and live service shit shutting down, uh, Marvel's Avengers finally is getting shut down. Uh, Crystal Dynamics confirmed the end of it later this year. They will publish the final update on March 31st. Um, all official support for it will end, including removal from sales, so you don't be able to track down a retail copy. Um, there'll be offline content made available at like the single player mode and a bunch of other previously released content will become free so that's reasonable fair play for that but yeah uh, it should have happened sooner i'm not surprised it well i'm not surprised that it's happened but i'm kind of surprised it took so long but i reckon because it was marvel and square enix wanted to give the illusion that it would have been successful which is likely why it took so long but the fact that chris dynamics is now also owned by uh, the Embracer group, and no longer Square Enix, that's probably part of a reason why as well, but that's speculation. Next bit of news, uh, Saudi Arabia have increased their stake in Nintendo via the, uh, the public investment fund, aka we're going to diverse out of oil and give loads of money for things, especially gaming, because the prince, even though he's uh, personally ordered the killing of a journalist, is actually a big gamer, so it's okay. It's not, by the way. But yeah, Nintendo's stake went up from 5.01% to 6.07%, so 1.5%, which is still bad. But now, the Saudi Arabia is now one of Nintendo's largest shareholders. So uh, now on to the bigger bit of news. Uh, Nintendo is reportedly planning to increase Switch production to meet continued demand for the console. Uh, not surprised, this was something that Bloomberg have found according to strong consumer demand coupled with diminishing component shortages and Nintendo like, oh, we're actually going to increase Switch production starting next fiscal year after Switch turns seven years old. And people have seen that, I've seen and going like, but there needs to be a new Switch. We need one. And it's like, this is why there's no new Switch, because it's selling too much. And I can see why it needs an upgrade in some ways, because if you're wanting to play the latest big budget Western AAA really demanding high graphic 3d poly stuff yeah it does make sense but you'd want it more to point because the games do get more difficult to run and actually fit on the hardware but if you only play the ends or turn-based rpgs or similarly low-tech less demanding games you may not care as much and a lot of people who bay on the switch a lot now do like largely stick to those kinds of games or don't care much about it so that's why people are buying Switches, and that's why it's taken longer to meet a successor. And also the fact that the Switch Pro was confirmed to have existed by Eurogamer, like last time I talked about it, last episode. So the fact that their ship has sailed, there will probably be a new one in 2024 at the earliest, because after several years, I can kind of see why Nintendo want a new one out. But, you know, again, it's not like that's why there's no Switch successor. You know, it's still like Switch is amazing. It's still got a long life ahead of it, and even in twenty twenty five, we'll still be getting new games. 
if not from third parties, maybe really long, late localizations of visual novels, especially if they're by Idea Factory, because you know Idea Factory and Aerotoma games, they basically kept the Vita alive during 2018 after the Switch came out, so you know, that's the thing. And um, now there's going to be another discussion which I don't actually want to talk about, because it's like, yeah, this is a load of shit. But I've seen people talk about it online, and I'm going to touch on it, and it was a rumour that there's a Baton Kytos like, remake of the first game, and this is by Exputes, and it's like, they're basically like, we've seen graphical elements of this title under development, and we claim it's going to be sometime this summer, and a reveal is possible during E3, but we can't actually show evidence that we've seen, especially graphical evidence, and it's like, it just comes across as trust me, and yet people are taking this seriously, and it's like, Okay, if this was actually corroborated by a more credible source like Jason Schreier or Video Games Chronicle, then I'd be more inclined to believe it. But I don't think this is really, like, true, especially because there's no actual evidence. And obviously, like, assuming it is genuine, I wouldn't want to see them actually publish evidence that incriminates their sources. So assuming it is true, I can see why they wouldn't publish it. But also for me, it's like, if you can't publish evidence that really supports this, then I feel it's better to hold back, because even confirming the existence of this game, like this, assuming it's legit, could actually put the project in jeopardy, and this has happened in the past, like, there was shows based on Legend of Zelda and other things like Netflix at one point, and then that got leaked out, so then Nintendo shut the project, and then there were other examples. I found one with high voltage software where something they worked on for the Wii. It was after the Conduit 2. And there's originally going to be a collab with Nintendo. That was leaked out. And no Nintendo shut that down. So for me it's like you're kind of playing with fire if you're announcing this. Because this could still get cancelled. Assuming it's legit. And I don't really want to treat it as legit. Until it's like actually confirmed. But they do claim that the remake is being made by Monolith Soft and Nandai Namco and Nintendo are helping out with it, so I can kind of see how in theory an arrangement like that is possible because Bandai Namco have worked in Monolith Soft even after Nintendo bought Monolith from them through the Project Cross Zone games and a few other games as well. So I can see a scenario where it was happening, but generally if this is going to happen, it will... Well, it'll probably be announced, but I don't think it's like... I don't think people should be taking this as seriously or as possible as, like, people are saying. Because, as it is, if it wasn't for people taking it seriously and talking about it online as if it was a serious possibility, I'm like, I wouldn't have talked about it here because I don't think there's enough evidence on this to really indicate it. Like, yeah, I just... Yeah, if it happens, great. If it also If it does happen... Release Origins 2, that's the second game in the series, which is kind of a prequel, but that came out, only came out in North America and Japan, never came to Europe, you can't even play it legally in Europe without emulation, so maybe it will happen, but you know, pinch of salt. And now for this next section, we're going to talk about politics, in specifically relation to video games, because the European Union are proving once again they are leading the world in terms of protecting consumers and gamers because this week the European Parliament voted overwhelmingly to adopt a report by an MEP 
uh, Adriana Maldonado-Lopez, I hope I said that correctly, basically calling for tighter regulation of video games and their business models, as well as some other initiatives to support gaming as a medium. It secured 577 votes in favour, with 56 against and 15 absentations, and over a dozen recommendations were made. Too much to sum up here, so I'm just going to give a very a summary based on the Games Industry Biz article, which I'll link below because it's got the text summary points of all of them. Um, it's going to be basically calling for harmonised rules across the EU single market when providing information about content, systems to help parents understand and control how much time and money their children spend on games, voted to have the Commission analyse the impact of loot boxes and prompts to make in-game purchases and taking action if necessary, that's one of the best things here, by the way. Investigating whether gold farming can be linked to financial crimes and human rights abuses. Also a good thing. Call for developers to avoid designing games that feed addiction. And who citing the Who's recognition of gaming disorder as an example of addiction, which is also good because gaming addictions and how these companies can be quite predatory with their game designs do disproportionately impact disabled people, especially neurodivergent people the most, because that's, well, you're literally targeting people with different wiring of their brains that are less, like, able to resist spending tons of money on these things, which is, well, fucking disgusting behaviour. Uh, anyway, other things, they uh, recommended prioritising data protection, improving gender imbalance on the industry's workforce, making it as easy as possible for people to cancel a subscription as they can to sign up. And as well as the other things, I'm relating to that. Also recognising the value of the video game sector, as well as the potential to help with education and mental health, which is really good. And uh, asking the European Commission to develop a European video game strategy that would help like improve things there with boosting industry and creation of a new annual European online video game award, which, uh, yeah, that's also good as well. And yeah, there was, um, yeah, overall this is pretty good, it went through. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be some massive legislative changes in the next, like, couple of years, but the fact that this is happening means it will sooner or later happen, and this is the future. And uh, these companies already don't like it, because in the article, they provided a statement to Games Between Biz, between the Interactive Software Federation of Europe and the European Game Developers Federation, and they said they were, we're concerned by the calls. No, you're not concerned. You're concerned because you won't be able to make as much money. And that's why. And it's funny because they talk about, oh, it will impact funding. But no, it has been like, debunked elsewhere. Because a lot of the funding for these things is just really unnecessary bloated marketing budgets. And money that's deliberately siphoned off by the by the executives and shareholders for their own back pockets and not the ground floor developers, yet alone the games, and it's just like uh they're just they're just upset that they're finally getting some form of legal ramification. And this is would always gonna be the natural conclusion to this behaviour because these game publishers they had their chance to regulate themselves. They've proven over and over again they cannot do it. And now state intervention from governments and pan pan-national bodies like the EU is now happening because they need to, to protect people, to protect people and their their money and their well-being, 
which is why this is a good thing at the end of the day. Like, and the EU, like, the European Union do, like, set, like, standards across the globe. That's what one of the big strengths of EU. And a lot of this ties into Brexit as well, which... All I'm going to say is if you're outside the EU, you will be affected by these changes, especially when it comes to the laws in relation to it. So, like, it was basically something that you don't have to, like, relate it to Brexit specifically, but if you're outside the EU, you will be affected by this stuff and you can't do anything to change that. And that's the tea, basically. And yeah, I'm happy to see this and let's hope it uh, pans out into stuff sooner than later. Now on to VNs, and I've got a bunch of VN stuff here. Um, first two are, well, relate to Coffee Talk, because uh, that got detailed. Episode two of Coffee Talk, called Hibiscus and Butterfly, launches on the 20th of April. Basically all platforms, even including Epic Game Store and GOG. So, you know, it's going everywhere now, and Xbox too. And then Serenity Forge also announced physical editions for both Coffee Talk and Coffee Talk Episode 2, presumably for North America only at the moment. Um, there'll be single shot editions for both games, which is basically like the standard game with a few extra like miscellaneous bonuses inside the case. And then there's a collector's edition for each game and then a bundle for both in one massive collector's edition. Um, I doubt there'll be a European version because, well, the previous Serenity Forge physical for Europe was distributed by PQ and obviously with a space for the Unbound, there was a whole PQ potentially like siphoning grants from these developers for their own pockets and stuff and generally a burnt bridge there so i i find would find it difficult to imagine that that would happen unless it was by a different distributor so whether that happens or not is unlikely but i don't know but for now i'd expect this to only be in north america the other alternative is is of course strictly limited but strictly limited they take forever to get their games like actually printed and released. It's actually quite embarrassing, but they're like, oh, we, but each cycle is different. But yet they still continue to release pre-orders each month. And if you pre-order the game, you often have to wait over a year to get them. It's actually, it's actually fucking ludicrous, to be honest. And it's just a bit, yeah, I reckon they're probably pissed off at that. Because although the actual sets themselves for them are nice, it should just take too fucking long. And it kind of, it kind of, it's kind of the worst thing about them, to be honest. The fact they take too long, even if the Cape Bailey's are nice, it's just, you just don't take that fucking long to release shit. Sorry, not sorry. And on to uh, Ellie's that will actually come out in a timely manner. Uh, Akai Ito and Aoi Shiro HD Remaster for Switch was dated for the 25th of May in Japan. These are the PS2 Yuri visionals that are getting remastered for modern platforms, so Switch and PC, by success. Um, this has been confirmed to have English, Japanese, and Chinese language options, I'm guessing, on the cart. It doesn't say otherwise, but given it's like on cart, I imagine that's what it means if it's in an article like this. And we'll have a physical release. Uh, the physical edition will also have a limited edition option with a, a lot of CDs, mostly drama CDs, but also the soundtracks, which are... That's pretty cool, actually. So that's kind of cool to see that. Uh, the Steam version, which is where it's also releasing, has been dated for later in 2023, which I'm guessing that will also be multi-language and maybe by another company, unless Success published one of themselves, but that's speculation. 
Uh, now for Japan only VNs have not had a Western announcement or anything and might not happen. But uh, the first one was a Idea Factory also announced that Wonder Fortune R is coming to Switch on the 18th of May. Otome game from originally from the PSP, then remade for the Vita. This one's now coming to the Switch. Um, I'm glad this is happening because I want to see this localized. I wish it got localized on the Vita back in the day, but it didn't. But, you know, a lot of these older Otomate ports, I really hope to see them get picked up. Probably by Idea Factory themselves because they're older games and maybe get some nice limited edition goods as well. And I think Wonder Fortune actually has some gameplay in it. And isn't just text all the time, but, you know, I want to see it. And the next one is um, from Bushy Road Games, because Bushy Road announced a bunch of games. Nothing too noteworthy, but there were two I wanted to talk about, as they were VN-related. Um, now, this first one I actually thought was a, uh, a visual novel spin-off for the Lovelift series, but it's not. It's actually for Review Starlight, which is basically from the same developers or something. I'm not sure, correct me, Mobidge fans, if you read this, please correct me. But it's called Review Starlight. It's an adaptation for the series for Switch and PC. And it and it is a spin-off throughout this winter. It's developed by Frontwing. And if you don't know who Frontwing is, they are a visual developer, like a lot of these VN devs. They started out making porn games. And uh, seemingly have now moved over to becoming all ages only, which is aka reality for releasing your games in the global market. Uh, Iroki fans are going to be very pissed off me for saying that, but I don't care because I'm right. And, well, you know. It's interesting to see since Bushiroad acquired them like last year or something, but now they're actually making like games for Switch and PC natively, which I think is really cool because beforehand it was like. You'd have to rely on prototype to port Frontwing's games, which has very much happened with likes of the Grisaia trilogy and Island and in the past, uh, from the future undying, Himawari and other things as well. And also a PS3 game, which I forgot its name, but it's basically a 3D dating sim and why have I brought it up? I can't remember its name, but whatever. The other game is Ginka, which is a Frontwing original uh, coming to Switch as well as PC, launching this summer. Not officially confirmed for the West yet, but it likely will come to the West. Now, finally, on to what I've been playing. So, I've been debating what to talk about for this section, because I think I, I've kind of dipped in and out with some other things, like I've done some more Mario Kart online, CDGP again, which I do dip in and out of. And I don't want to talk about much if it's just if I don't have anything to talk about, so I wanted to pick two. Um... The first one we're going to talk about is Rune Factory 5. So this is something that I got right over the holidays and uh, I started playing it because uh, last year it was my second most anticipated RPG and I just never picked it up. I just never played it and now I'm finally getting around to it. And I've played about probably close up to 10 hours or something and um, I have thoughts basically. Um, I know a lot of people considered it a step back compared to Rune Factory 4, and I'm kind of in that camp. Like, first off, it is kind of still fun, if that makes sense. Like, I'm still having fun with it. The open world, like, the actual design of the map itself is quite nice and is quite open. The combat's good as well. I like that. Um, the characters, um, overall are pretty good. I quite like them. And I think they're pretty cute and they're pretty sweet. 
because you know that's kind of like the the main appeal of Rune Factory the characters. I do like the fact that it does have gay marriage and other things like that, which is so cool because you know more queer support and uh, cute heroines and guys, and it's really nice, and I do like that. Um, but there, are, there, are, like this is one of those games where if you've played like Japanese games for a long time, especially RPGs. You will know that a lot of devs have gone through this adjustment period from the SD generation to the HD generation. And you see this a lot with Japanese devs, especially now, because many of them are quite slow to move over from older consoles. Even the 3DS as well. Atlas were a major holdout from moving to HD. Aside from Catherine and Persona 5, basically everything else they did was still on the older consoles. Um, and basically Vanillaware and Arxis made their other stuff, so... And whereas of this one, it's like, you can tell this is their first, like, truly HD project in the series, and in general. Because yes, Rune Factory 4 Special was an original project as well, but that was a port of a 3DS game. It takes, when you're building from the ground up compared to a port, you can kind of tell, and I, that for me is kind of... The overwhelming feeling I got playing it where I could kind of tell that, okay, this is their first time, it's a good attempt, but compared to like Rune Factory 4, it's just it's just it just feels more like a not a concept, but something that doesn't it just they kinda needed more experts like HD developers to actually work on it. Because the world map, like I like the design of the map, but visually it looks a bit it kinda looks a bit meh. It's kinda like a PlayStation Vita game actually. Like, it reminds me of back in the days where I played Hyperdimension Neptunia Rebirth. And it reminds me of that. Like, it looks good. Like, it's not terrible. But it looks dated. Like, it would fit on the Vita. And that's basically what it feels like to me. And then... And, like, the character artwork and the models, they're, they're fine. I've got no issues with those. They look great. Even the inside of the buildings look good, mostly. And the town itself, like, I like the lighting effects and some of the views overall look good, but it kind of does feel like such a step back. Especially because, like, I've also played Harvest Stella, and with Harvest Stella, like, that had, like, some visual issues as well. But compared to Rune Factory 5, it felt so much more immersive and so much better looking and a lot deeper in its visuals, and I fucking loved it. Other thing with Rune Factory 5 on Switch, oh god, the technical issues. Like, I come out of buildings, and when it loads stuff up, it's just kind of jarring. It actually is a bit overstimulating. So for me, it's like, I really struggled with it, because it's like, oh god, like, I could just see stuff, and it just, like, the stuttering is, like, it was kind of like, I found it difficult to keep, like, to actually move around while that was loading, because I had to basically stop, and it actually let it load, and it was just kind of, it took me out of it. And that's just, it's just not good. And I know this has been fixed in the PC version, so if you're interested in Rune Factory 5, I would suggest, unless the technical issues will really get in your way, like, or more like not get in your way, actually. Let's say you they won't get in your way, I'd suggest getting it on PC, actually, or maybe wait and see if it gets a PS4 port. I think it might be on PS4 already, but... If it is, it's not in retail, because I've never seen a physical of it. So, you know, maybe get it on our platform. But overall, it is a bit of a step back for the series. And 
I'm just, it just doesn't hook me as much as the other games. Like, I'm still having fun with it, but it just does feel a bit too much of a whip for me. And um, if you look for something like that, I'd actually suggest Rune Factory 4 or Harvest Stella instead. I mean, I'd say Harvest Stella is even better than Rune Factory 4 as well. Like, that game actually addicts me a lot when I jump in that a bit. That game is so good. But yeah, um, Rune Factory 5 is cheaper now, so if you want to pick it up, it's closer to 20 30 pounds so i'd say try it at that price maybe you'll love it even more than i did but generally yeah i wouldn't uh there are better games but also i'm glad that the game for series even came back at all that's kind of one reason why i'm glad to have played it because at one point it looked like the series wasn't going to come back and now it come back it got a remaster the fourth game a new entry and then Rune Factory 3 Special, which is coming out later this year, which I really hope is better than Rune Factory 5 and is closer to 4 in terms of quality. But, you know, fingers crossed. Anyway, the second thing is a game that I've been playing most of my time off, and that is Persona 4 Golden on, well, the Switch, because that came out, a lot of people will know. If you only follow Atlas's page, you'll think it's exclusive to Xbox and the Microsoft Store, because Microsoft paid a... Uh, Lots of money for a marketing deal, even though it's pretty fucking obvious to anyone who pays attention that it's on other platforms too. But that aside, uh, I actually started playing it before the official Western release because I got it off the Japanese eShop. Because on the Japanese eShop, it's about 2,000 yen and about 12 pounds. Whereas if you're in the West, it's like 18. Like, you're literally getting ripped off if you're paying like, like if you're paying like, like full price digital game. Like... Just, I'm glad they were cheaper because this game should have come out physically. It might still get a physical later. But if you're going to release it digital, release it cheap. In Japan, it was like 2,000 yen and it should have been 12 quid in the West. Like, I don't care. And it has English. I downloaded it, started it in English. Um, fun as ever, basically. I haven't actually played Persona 4 Golden in like, oh god, it's a long time. Probably cl closing in on the, hmm, probably the, at, least, at least like eight to nine years. It was a long time ago. So going back to it again, and I remember why I loved it basically. Um, it looks and plays absolutely beautifully on the Switch, both docked and undocked. I think it's amazing. So... If you're looking for technical stuff, it's the, the modern release of it is the best version to play. I know the Vita version has the advantage of physical, but also it does have like, because it was originally made only for a small screen, this was before the PSTV, so it doesn't matter about the PSTV because it didn't exist at the time. Um, before then, if you wanted to play, you don't have to worry about the small screen, so some of the anti-aliasing stuff and the motion blur when you're moving, you do, you've had that doesn't matter as much on a Vita, but with a Switch, it's gone because you'd notice on the PSTV, but obviously, because it's HD port, it's gone, and it's so beautiful. And, yeah, I love it. Um, I think I will make a longer video on this, because I've ended up getting a lot of thoughts on it, especially in relation to, like, playing it now, based on my experiences in gaming and in life in general since then as well as looking back on some of the aspects of it that hasn't aged as well. So, I don't want to spoil stuff, but yeah. Um, I am everyone enjoying it, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, 
loving it and uh, it's fun to revisit it and just kind of see how I feel about it now and it's fun and uh, I, I do recommend it. So if you're curious about Atlas's history, check this game out. It's the cheapest way you can get it and it's a treat and you get to see history of Atlas because like it may look like why have all these games being milked? Why are you make, only making Persona 4 games? And now it's like, oh, I've played Persona 4. It's actually amazing. And you can you can play Persona 4 Golden and see it for yourself now. And yeah, um, I haven't touched Persona 3 Portable at all. I know there's been issues with that release in terms of its, uh, its quality. And then there were also issues with the translators not being credited as well, which uh, is definitely shit. I'm not going to debate there. That's shit. That needs to be fixed. Sega, Atlas, sort it out. And you know. And also no physical. Like that needs a physical too. I know there was a piss up in London and in LA for the games. But you could do that. But not a physical for the games that people could access. I would get them again for a physical. And to be honest. I think it's likely a physical will happen eventually. At least a Persona 4. Because now there's rumours going around that Persona 3 is getting remade. So Persona 3 being remade that makes sense to me that they'd only release portable digital but persona 4 golden being digital and i can't really see a justification for that but you know who knows maybe that's getting remade too but you know i'm just gonna uh get out of the camp of speculation and just say that yeah i've been playing it um it's been fun to play and really like take advantage of the systems again and just coming with, with different things it's just too much talk about here but i want to talk about it so i'll probably make my own video on it um, yeah, I'm gonna stop now because I've been going for a while and, um, yeah, this is gonna keep it a short episode today because a lot of the episodes I've done for the podcast tended to be close to the one hour mark and that can't happen all the time because it gets a bit much for me, both me to make and for you to listen to, assuming you're still listening, that is. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Miller's Game Room Podcast. If you want to support the channel... Uh, and the show, like, comment, subscribe, five-star reviews, etc., and so on, and so forth, and everything else. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day, week, month. Bye-bye.